It's go time. Welcome everyone to Third Down Gamble. Don Charbon along with Heath Graham. Pat is away and our thoughts are with him. Heath, coaching. We've seen the highs and lows of being a coach in the Canadian Football League. You see the joy that was on Paul Lapolis's face when finally Ottawa gets their first win of the season. We see the befuddlement in Craig Dickinson's face when the Rough Riders now lose three in a row. What is going on with Chris Jones and Edmonton as they continue to hand out boarding passes to everybody that comes in to try for the team? Ottawa has been in so many games this season. It was great to see them get that first win and a big relief for Paul Lapolice. There's been a lot of talk about him being on the hot seat. The losses weren't necessarily his fault. You lose your starting quarterback, one of the best quarterbacks in the league. It's going to take some time to turn things around. It was great to see uh, Paul Lapolice is, is a wonderful person and I'm happy to see him get that first win. Danny Machocha, we knew him coming back to head coach position in the CFL for the first time since 2008 was going to be a, a bit of an adjustment. Yes, he's been involved in U-sport in the previous years, but to get back up to speed is going to take a little bit of time. And we see that with the result with the Montreal Alouettes. Fortunately for him, Gary Stern seems to be a staunch supporter of Danny Machocha and the personnel decisions they've made so far. So we'll see how that kind of plays out here down the road. Gary Stern is a real cheerleader for the team. It was something that I didn't expect from him when he was part of that ownership group that bought the team from the CFL. He is a great, great, great breath of fresh air. If you ever follow him on Twitter, go for it. He is fun to follow. The Alouettes... Of course, they're in tough playing the Blue Bombers, but let's get back to Paul Apolise. How much pressure was on him given that they were winless going into Toronto? We knew, and as you indicated, that they've been in many a game. In fact, I think of the teams that have lost games, they have lost the most by seven or less. It's been something in that final drive that's got to them. Lapolis must have been wondering, ultimately, is this ever going to change? And when it did in Toronto... And it was the defense, too. And let's let's not forget that Avery Williams is back in the lineup for Ottawa and Abdul Kenna, two huge components of that defense. And it's amazing what a defensive addition of veteran leadership will do. Absolutely. The defense was one of the strong suits in my mind for Ottawa going into this season, especially their defensive secondary. Paul Lapolice is more of an offensive-minded coach. So to see all those pieces come together was great. You know... A coach is always on the hot seat when he wasn't hired by that general manager. These situations come up. You know a GM wants to put his stamp on the team. It appears at this point that Sean Burke and Paul Lapolis seem to be on the same page thus far. And we're starting to see maybe a little bit of confidence building in Ottawa and all of those pieces that they brought in in free agency over the last offseason starting to work together and figure this out. Now let's move across the prairies to Regina, where the Rough Riders have lost three straight. Craig Dickinson, and you know this is excuse speak when they say, well, we're four and four, but we've got 10 games to go and it's a new season. That You only use that when you're in trouble. 
you never hear the Blue Bombers say, well, we're 8-0, but we've still got 10 games to go and we'll fix it then. Time is of the essence, especially in this Western division where we see a little bit of separation with BC, Calgary, and Winnipeg at the top of the leaderboard. Losing three in a row for the Rough Riders is pretty perilous, especially when you see the Edmonton Elks start to get a little bit of their combinations figured out. And if the Rough Riders aren't careful, they've got a a big game coming up next week where Edmonton is going to have that chance to kind of crawl back into it. Edmonton, I still wonder what's going on. As I joked earlier, you're handed a boarding pass the moment you walk into the building, but they have cut almost as many people since training camp that they cut on the final day of training camp. Anecdotally, I heard from a good friend of mine who's a huge Elks fan that said this was going to be a season-long training camp for the franchise. It's got to be tough if you're Victor Kui and the rest of that organization to sit through this and look at that roster and realize that you're going to be ripping names off and putting new ones on every week. At some point, doesn't this have to stop? Doesn't there need to be continuity? When they brought Chris Jones in and signed him to a multi-year contract as head coach and general manager, they gave him carte blanche to put his mark on this team. Yes, they can have some of those conversations about players, but if they are truly serious about letting Chris Jones shape this franchise, they have to live with this, especially in season one. We'll see what happens as he moves through year two, year three of his contract and start to build some of that continuity with his players. But for right now, he is constantly shuffling the deck and trying to find the right combination. There's a bottom line to all of this, though. When you look at Commonwealth Stadium, those seats are glaring as you look across an empty stadium. The fan base there is extremely strong, but they're not showing up. And why? Because they're very frustrated over what's been happening with the franchise. Now, you go back to last year, and they finished last in the league. Here again, they are last in the West. At times, they've, especially in the East, they've done well enough to win. But when they roll through the West, what are they going to do? And this is the big question mark. When Ottawa was looking at their record and Edmonton's looking at their record, where do you find the wins? It's going to be tough and... They need home wins more than just wins. If they can string together a couple of wins at home, start to reignite that fan base a little bit, they're going to be okay. But we're well over a thousand days without a home victory at Commonwealth Stadium at this point. And as that streak continues to grow, people are starting to figure out that maybe they can spend some of that entertainment dollar somewhere else. One of the things that we discussed prior to our show last week that we never did air was the idea of having football games played on Sundays in the CFL. We've seen that now twice in a row where, by circumstance, Toronto plays Saskatchewan on a Sunday, but by scheduling, Ottawa played Toronto on a Sunday. The next time they play on a Sunday is Labor Day Sunday with Winnipeg at Saskatchewan. It is something that I thought was worth asking, so I put it out on our Twitter handle, As a poll, what do you think? Should the league look at Sunday games up until the start of the NFL? That seems to be the most popular notion. Play games on Sundays until the NFL starts and get out of the way. Very few people think right through all the way on Sundays. Very few 
even fewer people look at it as a situation where you just don't play on Sundays at all. I like the idea of the Sunday games. At this point, there's a lot of other sports happening on Sundays as well, but not the juggernaut that is the NFL. If you've got people that are already looking to watch some sports on Sunday, throwing the CFL games in there is a way to boost some of that interest. There's baseball, there's some auto racing, a little bit of golf, if they're a bigger event, that sort of thing. Once NFL season kicks off, I agree 100%. The CFL needs to get out of the way. The NFL is already on our network television in Canada, as well as various American network stations and some cable stations. It's going to be a lot harder to draw that interest to the CFL game when that's going on, other than obviously playoffs and marquee matchups and that sort of thing. But certainly during the summer, Sunday football can work for this league. Put the CFL on Sundays. The idea was, and it came from a tweet that Pat had found, that more people have free time on Sundays to sit back and watch a game and participate. This would be the logic behind having more Sunday games up until the beginning of September. And drawing to a bit of a younger audience as well. Part of the argument in in that string of tweets was that the 18 to 30-year-olds are often doing different things with their social lives on Fridays and Saturdays. Some of us have outgrown that now, and we are quite happy to sit at home on a Friday night and watch a football game. But the, the crowd that the CFL is certainly trying to attract are maybe not as glued to the TV in those time frames where the CFL is traditionally playing. So moving it to Sunday is going to allow more of that key target market, that key demographic to tune in. If you can grab them early on in the season with some of those Sunday games, maybe that can pull through and and continue that interest once the NFL season starts up. The other thing that I was wondering about, though, is there's one team in this league that would prefer probably not to play Sundays, and that would be the Rough Riders. A lot of their fan base comes from two to three hours away. And if you're playing as they did this last weekend prior, a five o'clock start, well, that's eight o'clock finish. By the time you get home, it's midnight and you got to be at work the next morning. That's a little bit of a tough get. If there's a holiday Monday following it, then no problem. You could probably schedule the riders in on long weekends on Sundays just to help them out. But other teams that are, their market is definitely much closer to them. Wouldn't probably be a problem. And Toronto especially, uh, we we kind of noticed that when Toronto played Saskatchewan, the television audience grew. It, it peaked over 600,000. And part of the argument for Sundays was based on this idea that if you have more people watching it on television, more people consuming, of course, you generate more interest. The CFL overall this year from its beginnings has moved up incrementally all season long with television ratings. And they are averaging, I would say, about 550,000. And in a country this size, that's pretty darn good. CFL scheduling on a good day is a difficult task. You start to factor in, as you mentioned, Saskatchewan and the Sunday games. Winnipeg traditionally during cottage season doesn't play a lot of Saturday-Sunday games. They play a lot of Thursday-Friday games because there's a lot of beachfront property and a lot of big lakes just outside of Winnipeg that draw people away for the weekend. The league and the schedule makers have recognized that and have tailored some of that schedule making 
to allow for bigger crowds in the stadium. Saskatchewan is the same boat. You get a Friday or a Saturday game in Saskatchewan, you're going to draw well. Even the Friday night games, it involves people leaving work early to travel in to Regina to go to those games. But it seems to be a lot easier to do that than, as you said, getting out of a game on a Sunday night and traveling three hours and exhausting yourself for the the week coming up. It's a headache for schedule makers. When you're meshing all of these different needs and not to mention or not to forget, four of the stadiums share with soccer. You've got to go against their schedule as well. The Argonauts have other concerns as well. They don't want to play across from the Blue Jays. So that's another concern that they have. So you've got to work around all of this stuff. And I I think that the CFL does an admirable job. Yes, at times it may look a little awkward, the preponderance of weeks off that the BC Lions have had, the fact that the Bombers haven't had a bye as of yet, that this team has been on the road five times and only played at home twice. They all play the 18. They all get their three buys. It all works out in the end. It does. They're, each team is going to have a tough stretch of the schedule every season. Right now, as you mentioned, Winnipeg is in the toughest part of the schedule. They've been back and forth across country on short weeks. Another one here coming up again as they play Thursday night in Montreal. If they make it through these next couple of games unscathed, though, they've got a bye coming up and then really three buys in the second half of the season. So for a team to, to tough out that first part of the schedule for a team like the Bombers, it's setting them up really well come playoff time. Other teams, BC, as you mentioned, has had two buys already. So they've got a tough stretch where they're going to play a lot of games without much rest coming down the stretch. So if you weigh those two and see who has the advantage in that West, I would say advantage Bombers. One of the biggest debatable points that came out of this past week was the Hamilton-Montreal game and the fact that Trevor Harris out of the game with 15 seconds to go after he took a hit from Stavros Katsantonis. The booth decided that Harris was injured. He needs to be looked at. Interestingly, he leaves the field, picks up a water bottle, drinks it. You look on replay, he's not hit in the head. He's hit in the back and he looked to be winded. But as Matt Dunnigan said afterward, if you're trying to avoid that, you have to jump up. He didn't. He stayed on the field because he was probably trying to catch his wind for a few seconds. That is an impactful decision being made by the safety protocol that's in place. We've seen it once before earlier in the season when Zach Kolaris was pulled out against the Ottawa Red Blacks and Drew Brown has to come in in the final minute of the game, but he succeeds and the Bombers do win that football game. In this case, Dominique Davis comes in, looks lost back there because he, he hasn't been practicing. He hasn't been tossing a ball around. So he is completely cold as he walks onto the field and he throws a very bad interception. A very, very tough spot for Dom Davis. I feel bad for him to have been thrown into that position. In my opinion, it was the right call by the booth. Having watched in real time, it appeared to be a hit to the back of the head. As you mentioned, replay showed it was a bit lower and probably just a, a winded situation. But from their perspective of what they are seeing on the field, it was a dangerous looking play. Trevor Harris did not pop back up immediately. So I understand 100% why they made that call. Unfortunately, it's, as you say, twice this season where a potential game-changing drive late in the fourth quarter is affected by these calls. 
I, I don't know what a solution is, but it seems kind of unfortunate for the Montreal Alouettes that they lose their starting quarterback. Yes, there was a penalty for the hit, but I don't know if there's a way to penalize them more for knocking the quarterback out at that point. It was just a really, really tough spot for Trevor Harris and the Montreal Alouettes. The other thing that you could do, and I don't know if they're amenable to this or not, what about calling an on-field timeout? Give him a minute, let somebody look at him without the three-play application. Because typically when you're injured in the CFL, you're out for three plays. So if Harris was injured, he was going to be gone for three plays anyway. He wouldn't have finished the game. But if he gets checked over by the medical staff because the booth has said, you got to take a look at him. And the medical staff says, no, no concussion here. And he, and he says, I'm fine. In a stage where you've only got maybe one or two plays left in the game. That's an interesting solution, I guess, if you look at it in the last three minutes of a game, something to that effect. It, it might be worthwhile because, again, as much as you want to protect the star players in this league, you also want those star players to be on the field with the game on the line. How many times have we seen game-winning drives by quarterbacks and it's one of the most exciting things? And and in both these situations, where you've got Trevor Harris and Zach Kolaris pulled off the field that late in the game, it does not give you that chance for the star power. And we saw both sides of the coin in this one. It worked out well for the Bombers early in the season and it did not work out for Dominic Davis and the Montreal Alouettes in, in this most recent example. They were still 21 yards away. They maybe had two plays, but unfortunately, Dominic Davis took a lot of time. And I think it was partly because he just hadn't been out there. He was cold and he was still trying to figure out where the routes were. And by the time he realized that even if he completes a ball, they're going to run out the clock. Second down. Four games in the Canadian Football League last week, starting with Thursday night's tilt in Hamilton, where the Tiger Cats finally get it going, winning 24 to 17. We've already discussed at length the issue at the end of the game with Trevor Harris and him being pulled by the safety booth. Harris, up to that point, 25 of 41 for 288 yards and a touchdown. His counterparts, Dane Evans and Matt Schiltz, 20 of 28 for 250 yards and a touchdown. And I say counterparts because both saw the field and both played a lot. I hate two quarterback systems. Let's move on. On the quarterback note, I would just like to say it's very interesting to see Matthew Schiltz take about one third of the snaps for Hamilton. Key moments of the game as well. It seems like Dane Evans is engaged and involved in the play. All of a sudden they run Matthew Shields out for a couple of plays. And I don't know what this does to Dane Evans' confidence. We know he had some struggles early on in the season. And this, in my opinion, doesn't really do much to help him along as the number one quarterback. I don't think it does anything for him. And what kind of money are you paying Dane Evans that you want him to sit on the bench? If he's good to go, he should be out there and playing. I have nothing against Matthew Schilt. He could be a starter in this league. He just happens to be behind Dane Evans, and Dane Evans has got the big contract. It was sort of the same thing that they went through with Evans and Mazzoli last year. Mazzoli was making the big dollars, and Evans wasn't. It's a tough thing to to swallow when you put out that kind of dough for a starter, and the offensive coordinator keeps throwing them out and throwing them in and throwing them out. One other to, to shift gears a little bit in this game. One thing that I still struggle with is the CFL's definition of what a catch is. 
We saw an example once again in this game. Tim White appeared to catch the ball, turn, take a couple of steps, they get hit, the ball comes loose. The ruling on the field was a fumble. The booth review overturned it, called it an incomplete pass, saying that he never fully had control of the ball. From what I saw on the replays, it looked like he had control, was transferring it, and got hit. So in my mind, that was a catch, a turn, a hit, and a fumble. I don't know what the booth saw that overturned that and called it an incomplete pass. It was a transition, and that's where he started to lose the ball, and that's also when the contact happened. To me, if you've caught if you've if you caught it and you're starting to move it from one hand to the other, that shows control possession, and that should be a catch and a fumble. It appears that they're erring on the side of caution and calling that an incomplete pass. How many steps with the ball in your hands does it take before it's deemed to be in control? It's not like he was dribbling it, bouncing it, tipping it around. It it really appeared that he had control of that football. I'm glad the on-field officials did let it play out and treated it as a fumble. My problem maybe is in a little bit of what the booth saw in determining that it was an incomplete pass and overturning it. They have to shore up these concepts, though. It's not necessarily rewriting the rule book. It's conceptualizing exactly how you want it interpreted. And that's where they have to work at a better understanding. Alouette's 378 yards of offense, the Ticats 352, Montreal, 12 of their passes were knocked down. Was that necessarily something that Trevor Harris was doing wrong, or was that Hamilton's secondary coming to play and making the key knockdowns when the opportunities arose? Five quarterback sacks also indicates what kind of trouble Trevor Harris was having behind the uh, line. This is a bit of a rebirth of that Hamilton Tiger Cat defense that we saw so strong in 2021 and they haven't really had a game like this early on in the season so this might be a a good omen for Hamilton to get this win at the right time and we know wins have been very hard to come by so far in that East Division so stringing a couple of them together here and that and we know they play the Toronto Argonauts four times coming up right away so that's going to be really for first place in this East Division. Richard Leonard and Cario Brooks being back out there on the defense together was huge for the Ticats. Friday night, the British Columbia Lions play just their second road game of this young season. They come into Regina. Lackluster start for the Lions, but Nathan Rourke finally gets it together in the second quarter. And then the Lions roll with 18 second-half points to beat the Riders 32-17. to The Riders were up 17-4. to A big second half for the BC Lions, not only on offense but on defense, to hold the Rough Riders off the score sheet in the second half of this game. Nathan Rourke didn't seem to be doing incredible things that we've already seen early on in the season. He was just sneaky good and at the end of the day had a pretty fantastic night when you look at the stat line. 27 of 33 for 336 yards, 81.8% passing efficiency, two touchdowns, no interceptions. His counterpart across the way for the Rough Riders, Cody Fajardo, 18 of 17 for 168 yards. That ain't going to cut it. And the Rough Riders, as we talked about prior, three losses in a row. 
Saskatchewan still is very, very, very reluctant to throw the ball down the field. In fact, their only big play of the game was uh, a play by Fajardo where he ad-libs. He basically has to run out of the pocket. He finds a receiver down the field, and he pitches it to him. Four quarterback sacks for the BC Lions in this one as well. We know Cody Fajardo is having issues with a knee injury that is ongoing, and that offensive line for the Rough Riders needs to step up and protect their key asset behind them because at this point, Cody Fajardo hasn't had a lot of time for those deep plays to develop either. When there's a a breakthrough on that line and, and somebody in your face, it's pretty tough to complete those long passes. One thing I'll give Cody Fajardo credit for is even with that knee injury, he was still pretty mobile. He he moved around when he had to. He maybe didn't rush for as many yards as we've seen from him in the past, but he is one of the more mobile quarterbacks in the league and, and showed it once again. Fajardo's knee is going to be a huge topic if it ever does get re-injured to the point where he can't play for an extended period. It's an MCL. I've had it myself. It's not the worst of the collateral ligaments to injure, but you still need it. And if the situation arises where he is carted off the field because of that knee, there are going to be a lot of glaring eyes looking at the head coach. There will be. Fortunately, receiving was also an issue with the Rough Riders. Dekeel Williams, five catches on 11 attempts. He's not catching the ball that you expect a guy of his talent level to catch compare that to Dominique Grimes who makes a one-handed grab at the five-yard line and dives into the end zone for the Lions or Javon Katoy who manages to focus on a football coming through the uprights and catch it for another touchdown you're not seeing from Dekeel Williams and you could argue maybe Fajardo's not exactly putting it where it has to be but notwithstanding that Dekeel Williams has to make adjustments to hang on to that football he absolutely does. There was some catchable balls thrown Duke Williams' way that he did not convert. And as you mentioned, Javon Katoy had a phenomenal game. One of his better games I've seen as a BC Lion. That arsenal of receivers for BC is very dangerous, and you don't know who's going to be the one doing the damage week in and week out. Keon Hatcher, seven catches for 110 yards. Where did he come from? Nathan Rourke, it has to be said, is one of the CFL's top performers of the week. Once again, the third time in six games for Nathan Work. So we really appear to have a star in the making on our hands. A very solid, solid night. 80% pass completion rate. He's well on his way to, to top tier statistical seasons in the CFL. Saturday, the showdown in the West. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers take their undefeated record into Calgary to face the Calgary Stampeders. Calgary and Winnipeg go toe-to-toe for the entire football game. The Blue Bombers winning 35-28. to Zach Kolaris, 22 of 30, 270 yards, but four touchdown passes. Bo Levi Mitchell, 21 of 32 for 219. Winnipeg, again, in that fourth quarter, kept Calgary out of the end zone. And that's been their mark throughout their entire success story from 2019 onward is that teams don't score touchdowns against the Blue Bombers in the fourth quarter. A couple of other interesting stats in this one. They gave up a rushing touchdown for the first time this season. They had played over 30 quarters of football this year without giving up a rushing touchdown. Not only did they keep 
the Stampeders out of the end zone in the fourth quarter, but in the first half as well, Rennie Paredes kept kicking field goals and Winnipeg was getting touchdowns. You don't win a lot of games if you're Calgary when you're in a situation like that when you're trading three three points for seven. Now, a casualty of that game was Raheem Wilson, who was torched several times by Blue Bombers receivers, especially Nick Dembski. So Wilson now is looking for employment as a result of this. Winnipeg, 430 yards of offense, Calgary, 358. The two teams really did seem on paper and did provide on the field a matchup that you would expected that whoever could prevail was going to make the fewer mistakes. A key for Winnipeg in this one was the return of Nick Dembski. He'd missed several games with an ankle injury, comes back, seven catches, 69 yards, and two touchdowns. Also, the offensive weapon for Winnipeg is runaway rookie of the year contender Dalton Schoen, four receptions for 80 yards and two more touchdowns added to his collection. This was the best game of the season thus far. It might be the best game that we see all season as far as the the skill level. We had a game where there were zero turnovers, zero quarterback sacks. It was just a good, clean football game. Sunday, the final game of the weekend, the Ottawa Red Blacks in Toronto to take on the Argonauts. The Argos in first place, the Red Blacks Coming into this game without a win, they leave with one. As Rod Smith said, they can finally say they won one. 23-13 over the Argonauts, McLeod Bethel Thompson. 25-39 for 340 for Thompson. One touchdown pass, but on the other side, Caleb Evans for Ottawa. Second start this season, 24-29, 286 yards, two touchdowns, a huge one at the end of the first half. 82.8% passing accuracy. Caleb Evans found his stride against the Argonauts. Another one of the top performers of the week in the CFL. It was all quarterbacks this week with uh, the aforementioned Nathan Rourke and Zach Kolaris as well. So uh, great game for Caleb Evans to be up in that stratosphere with those two quarterbacks as far as stars in the league this week. Certainly putting to bed some of that quarterback controversy or the questions of if and when we'll see Nick Arbuckle. Caleb Evans is developing nicely as a quarterback in this league. On Toronto's side of the ball, tough, tough night for Andrew Harris. Nine carries for 17 yards. His longest of the night was seven yards. He did have a few receptions as well, but some of those big weapons for Toronto. Brandon Banks, once again, only two catches, 39 yards. One of them was for a score, but that's a lot of, a lot of money invested in a couple of guys that really have not lived up to the expectations in Toronto. One of the free agent signings Ottawa made in the offseason that Sean Burke was high on coming from Hamilton, Jalen Acklin, he is performing. He's leading the league in, in yardage. He had a great day, seven receptions for 144 yards and a touchdown. Ryan Davis finally back in the lineup after getting injured in week one. Six receptions on six attempts for 41 yards. Again, on the other side, Curly Gittins Jr., continues to impress a solid Canadian receiver and and right up there one of those great possession guys targeted eight times six receptions for 84 yards another big night for him and nice to see Lewis Ward have a perfect night kicking the ball three for three on his field goals he hasn't quite hit those lofty percentages so far this season that we are used to seeing so maybe this is a little bit of him getting back on track here as well third down Another full schedule for the CFL this week. 
with four games on tap. Just quickly, we haven't talked much about the standings, but Winnipeg at 8-0. Of course, they got a free and clear path to finish first in the West. The logjam comes with BC and Calgary and Saskatchewan. Now, Saskatchewan, of course, with the extra losses, are on the outside looking in. But BC and Calgary, when they finally start going face-to-face, that should be interesting to decide who gets second. It will be. As you mentioned, Winnipeg right now has won the season series already against the Calgary Stampeders. They do play for a third time later on in Winnipeg. They have that first win against the BC Lions as well, so they control their own destiny there. They have a win over Edmonton, so the only team they haven't played yet in the West is Saskatchewan. We know funny things can happen in that back-to-back Labor Day Banjo Bowl weekend. And if there's an opportunity for Saskatchewan to gain some ground, perhaps that's it. The way they're trending right now with three straight losses, though, it's it's going to be tough to catch those Bombers when you're already four wins behind. Best record in the East is Toronto at 3-3. Three and three. Hamilton is undefeated within the division. That's interesting. 0-3 against the West, 2-0 within the division. That might set them up well for these four games in five weeks coming up against the Toronto Argonauts. As I said, this is going to be the battle for first place in the East Division. Right now, Saskatchewan would be in that crossover playoff spot. They have to finish a win ahead, so they're basically one win in hand right now against the East. Let's get to the games. We start with Winnipeg and Montreal on Thursday night. Winnipeg, of course, favored, minus 6.5. Gary Stern has gone out and said that the Alouettes are going to beat the Bombers and end the winning streak. More power to them. I love it. Winnipeg with an 8-0 record, but you did mention they played against Calgary on Saturday. They have went to Winnipeg, and now they have to fly out east to Montreal. That's two time zones away. That's a lot of time on planes and in airports and not on the practice field. In their eight games, I have picked against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers twice this season. One was this very same situation heading the other direction where they went from Toronto to BC to play an undefeated BC Lions team on short rest. Winnipeg put on a display in that one and won fairly handily. The other one was this last week. I figured a best opportunity for a team to beat Winnipeg was going to be the Calgary Stampeders in Calgary. If Zach Caleros starts for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, I'm picking the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Winnipeg, I think, will win. The question in my mind is, do they cover? Because Montreal can score. And it's going to be a good test for that Winnipeg defense because Montreal has the ability to go deep. They've got some weapons that can push you. And that's the one Achilles heel to Winnipeg's defense is over the top. They have been burned a few times. I will go with Winnipeg as well. Do they cover? I'm going to lean the other way and say no. It's a difference of one touchdown. I think Winnipeg covers this spread. Friday, the Stampeders are in Ottawa to take in the Red Blacks. Calgary's installed as a minus 6.5 favorite on the road in Ottawa. Calgary's only played one road game in the East. They played Hamilton, and it took a late crazy rally by the Stampeders to win in overtime. They're getting the exact same spread as Winnipeg in Montreal in this one. We saw Calgary put points on the board against Winnipeg, which is not the easiest thing to do. Ottawa came off an emotional first win of the season, but that Calgary Stampeders team, as far as I'm concerned, is the number two team in the league right now. Calgary wins this one. 
Ottawa continues to keep it close, so they do not cover that spread. I'm with you on that. I I think Ottawa will be within that touchdown again. Calgary may not be with Kadeem Carey. He's got a hamstring injury. That's going to change up how they approach the running game. But I think Calgary is good for the win, not the cover. Saturday, the battle of, well, what do you want to call it? <laughs> the 401? The Cats are in Toronto. This is the first of four in the next, what, five that these two teams play. If you think this is going to turn into a grudge match in a couple weeks, this is the opening salvo. <laughs> Toronto coming off a disappointing loss to Ottawa where they did not perform well, especially offensively. They took a lot of end-of-game penalties. Chris Edwards thought he had been kicked out of the game, ran all the way to the locker room, got a cue that he was supposed to come back because the first foul happened during the play, not after the play. Therefore, he is not kicked out of the game. But that speaks to a bigger issue, I think, in Toronto, is that sometimes they've got other agendas going on, and when they focus as a team, they tend to be all right. I am leaning towards Toronto to win at home in this one. I I think... We saw Andrew Harris have a tough night last week. This might be a bounce-back performance for him. And I do expect Brandon Banks at some point this season to break out for a big game. This might be the one that's a a division rival, a lot on the line. I'm picking the Argonauts at home for this one. The Tiger Cats' defense is coming together. And as I mentioned before, when they've got their secondary back together, they are a vastly different team. That defense played very well this past week. I don't think Toronto's going to get anywhere against it, even with Andrew Harris, if he does have a better game. The Tiger Cats' defense is going to be the difference in this ball game, and I think Hamilton will pull the upset. Late Saturday, we have the Edmonton Elks in BC. Now, if you remember, the Elks went to BC a little while ago and had it handed to them, BC rolling up 59 points. The odds makers have remembered that and have installed 11.5 point favorites for the BC Lions. That's an awfully big spread. I, I don't necessarily think that they're going to win that big. The potential is certainly there, but I am 100% taking the BC Lions, Nathan Rourke, and that receiving core in this one. It's a lot of points for a point spread. Although if you look at it, where does... Edmonton's offense come from. We saw Taylor Cornelius have a decent game leading into the bye. BC wins. Ah, Why not? BC covers. It's kind of a situation that if BC doesn't cover, I don't think they even win. And just follow me here. The Lions are so dominant. And when they are on, they clock teams. But when they're not, as evidence is the way they played against Winnipeg, then they are vulnerable. So if you follow me on this, they can't beat them by 12. They may not beat them at all. Well, we saw Hamilton held them to only 17 points a couple weeks ago here as well. So you're right. If it's not a great night on that offense, they can struggle. But I don't think this is the case in this one. BC wins and covers. Edmonton, to me, is still trying to find its way and trying to find out who is on the roster that fits. This deep into the season, you're just asking for trouble to make all these changes. 
Thank you for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean and can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter at Third Down Gamble. Join us again, the Third Down Gamble podcast, audio worth watching. Third Down Gamble uses the expert resources provided by Canadian Football League player and game statistics for analytics, game notes, and statistics, and 3downnation.com for news, insight, and in-depth analysis. Please visit cfl.ca and 3downnation.com for the most up-to-date information on the Canadian Football League.